All right. How is everyone? Good. Good, good, good. Today's message is a, a little different. I'm talking about uh, a character that, uh, that I, I love. I think I love a lot of Bible characters, but I, I think I've wanted to emulate his life um, a good bit. But before we get into that, how many are trying to practice everyday Christianity to the people around you? How many are finding it a little more difficult than you thought? Right? That sometimes life happens and we get distracted and maybe we don't do the things we should or maybe we want somebody else to do it for us. But the Be About It Challenge really is uh, a couple of things. Uh, we want to send Steve and Alicia to the Comoros Islands and we want them to be fully funded. And so we try to be creative in how we bring in money. Uh, and next week, we're actually going to do something. Uh, for me, it's an unveiling. My role in this season is to try to bring connection to a lot of the things we do. And I feel like at times our, our missions work is something that we do once a month. But I, I would like for us to integrate it better into everyday Christianity. We're about the people that are here. We're about the people that are there. And we want every person to know and get to experience who Jesus is. So next week we get to introduce something new and I think for us, I think for, for Pam and I, it's a big deal. I think for a lot of us, it will be. So we're excited about that. Be looking forward to that. We, uh, I, I was listening to Pastor Raphael's message again this week, and he said something that I thought was incredibly impactful. And he said, we cannot afford to live a Christianity that does not reflect the Savior that we serve. I know that was the Lord because he didn't come up with that. <laughs> That's incredible. Does our Christianity reflect the Savior that we serve? And the Lord keeps asking me a question. Uh, there, you know, I, I think every person has a dream in their heart. And I don't have this incredible dream. But, but I do feel like there are things I know the Lord wants to do. But very often he'll stop me, and this is what he's been asking me, will you surrender your dream for what I need? Will you surrender your ideas for what I need? Will you surrender your preferred future for what I need? Because there are a lot of people that are broken, and I think there's some great directions we could take, but God is going, are you paying attention to where I am? Jesus usually found himself amidst broken people, the ostracized people, the people that didn't fit. And God is asking me the question. And he's going, this is me personally. Will you give up what you think you should get for what I know I need? I think it's a great question that we as Christians need to ask. So... I, I wanted to present to you something, and if you're a small group leader, you'll probably be receiving uh, this formula uh, in our notes, uh, probably periodically as we move forward. But God is really good about meeting us where we are and then leading us into transformation. But uh, sometimes as a Christian, it's hard to figure out what God is working on. Sometimes we don't know what he's doing. And so I kind of wanted to break this down into 
uh, a simple form that maybe we could follow to make sure we're staying rooted and grounded with God uh, and allowing him to work process in us. So if you could put that formula up. So how many know that we live in an information age? Everywhere we turn, we're being inundated with information. And how many know that a lot of us really appreciate head knowledge? Head knowledge is just where, you know, if we were in, uh, a, if we were on Jeopardy, which I could never be on Jeopardy, but if I was on Jeopardy and I answered a question, I'd get points. Sometimes that's what we value. We want to have an opinion. We want to give an answer. It doesn't mean that you actually live the answer. It just means you can quote an answer. So what God loves to do is to take information and to make it personal to you. That's revelation. Anybody ever had an aha moment? Oh my gosh, that, that's for me. That's what revelation is. So it could be reading scripture. It could be through a message. It could be something that you hear that all of a sudden it's something very general that is specific to you. How many know just because you get a revelation doesn't mean you're going to do anything with it. But God wants you to apply it to your life. That's application. So information to revelation to application. To actually put it into practice. To begin to change the way you think. To begin to actually practice what you're hearing. And the last part of this is association. And if you notice, that's bolded. Most of us have probably received things from the Lord and we're trying to work those things out. But one of the issues in our life is sometimes we're not connected with people that can actually help us walk it out. Have you ever paid attention to somebody who does something really well and go, I'd love to learn from them? Wow, nobody. That's scary. But association is, is, the, is the way that we actually watch somebody, we learn from them, and then maybe we can put it into practice better because we have a relationship with them. And today's message is really about association. We're going to talk about Barnabas today. And for me, Barnabas is a hero in the Bible. We're going to look a little bit at his life. But I, before we do that, I, I want... well. Let me see how I want to do this. Mike, how should we do this? I like, I like the way you did that. How should we do this? Very carefully. Very carefully is right. So let's talk about sanctification for just a second. Okay. I want everybody to be transformed. That, that is the goal of Jesus. He takes you from immature in your faith to maturity. He takes you from new beginnings into established ways. How many know that takes time? All right. So sanctification is this immediate thing. When you got saved, you became accepted to Jesus. You became accepted by Jesus. So how many know the Bible says we're holy even when we don't always act holy? Because that's because we, we, we're accepted because of what Jesus has done. But God is committed to working on the areas of your life that are unholy. You with me? All right. Because everybody's going, yeah, I got some unholy things. All right. So, so what he does is this. It, our lives are like an onion. There's layers. A lot of layers. 
And so there may be an area that we do pretty well in our relationship with God, but then we have other areas that are closed off from him. Anybody have a room when a visitor is coming over that you put all your junk in? (laughs) Or you won't let anybody in there? Well, God can't let you have that room. So if Jesus were to show up at your house, he'd go, hey, I want to check out this room. And not because he's mad at you, but he goes, hey, I'd love to bring order to this area of your life. I'd love to bring healing to this area of your life. I'd love to cleanse you from this area in your life. That's sanctification. And so what God does, especially in this season, I feel like God is wanting access to every aspect of your life, especially the way that you think it should be. So he begins to change our mind. He begins to change our heart. He begins to show you the way he thinks about it. And then you begin to take that on. In association with him, you begin to live out who he is. You guys with me? All right. This is such a disjointed message, y'all. So God is wanting to take us from transition from ownership to stewardship. From ownership to stewardship. So Americans are are fiercely independent. We are. We want to own our houses. We want to own our lives. We want people to be distant from us. We want to be independent. But in Christianity, there is no ownership. There's stewardship. Because God goes, everything you have now is mine. And I allow you to be a steward of it. So that's our money, our time, our resources, our relationships. Everything in your life is his and he allows us to steward it. So part of the sanctification process is the surrendering of everything to him. And then we we live with him and we live it out the best that we can. All right. We're going to get somewhere in just a minute. So my question is, how will you determine the success of your life? How will you determine the success of your life? How many would say that Jesus was successful? See, some people are already messed up. Because in Christian circles, we can't use the word success. That has a, that's a bad connotation. So let me give you a, a, a Christian definition of success. Jesus knew the Father. He knew who he was. He was obedient with what he was asked to do. And he impacted every life he came into contact with. I'd say that's successful. So how would you measure success in your life? If you are 30 and above, would you stand? I need you to know something. Christianity needs you. 
Good news needs you. Because if, if we're actually going to determine success, yeah. it is the way that you give your life away. Yeah. That you give your Christianity away. That you give what you know about God to somebody else. That you give your skill and your talent and your ability away. It is desperately needed, y'all. It is desperately needed in the kingdom of God. And so what normally happens though, and, and this is an interesting thing, is the older people get, sometimes the less valued they feel. And I'm telling you that I need you. I, I need you to give what you have away to somebody else. You've got to share what you know about God with the people around you. All right, you may be seated. If you could stand for the reading of the word. Hey, this is the most exercise some of y'all have gotten all week, so... All right, Acts 4, 36 and 37. Let's read. Said Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the men and women in this room and God for what you desire, you desire for them to be successful. You desire for them, God, to know you, to know who they are, to give what they have away to the world around them, God. I pray that you would challenge us, that you would speak us, God, that you would clarify things for us, us this morning. And God, that we would be Christians, God, who are about it, that we give our lives, our purposes, everything that we have away. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're going to talk about Barnabas this morning and uh, incredible character in the Bible. He was a Levite, so he understood the church world. He probably knew, if not by heart, almost by heart, all five first books of the Bible. They had to know scripture really well. He was part of the early church after Jesus died and was resurrected. And a lot of people uh, in the Jewish community were, were beginning to kick out Christians. So there was a separation that was happening. Barnabas probably spoke Greek. He was probably familiar with Greek culture in the Roman Empire at that time. And... He was really influential in, in Christianity, and you're going you're gonna to see that in just a moment. So number one, successful Christians start with who they are. His name was Barnabas, and Barnabas wasn't his birth name. It was probably a derivative of Joseph, and, but by the way he lived his life, he was actually given another name. And it was Barnabas, son of encouragement. Barnabas was renamed by the way he lived. 
What an incredible picture of how his character and who he was reflected to the people around him. Barnabas was a giver. We see that in Acts 4, the the church is in need. So you have people that are being removed from maybe places of work. They're being kicked out of the temple. And there's need. And he has wealth. So he takes something that he, he has, and he sells it, and he gives it away. And he gives it to the apostles. And this was a significant act. This, this act of generosity probably showed his commitment to the apostles. Because at that point in time, this is a new thing. You know, you get to come to this church. Well, this church has been here for 80 years. But this is a new movement based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he was coming under their leadership. He was acknowledging their leadership. But he was also giving to the need. So he gave what he had, but he also gave who he was. Like as much as we need your money to send Steve and Alicia to the Camaros Islands, I want your heart. Because if I get your heart, I get everything about you. That's what Jesus wants too. He wants not just your pocketbook. He doesn't want just your Sunday morning attendance. He wants your heart. Because if he gets your heart, he gets everything with it. And this is really reflected in Barnabas. Barnabas cared about the church. So you can go to to Acts 11. And he hears rumors that Gentiles. we're, We're Gentiles. We're not Jewish. We're Gentiles. The Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. That they're getting saved. And he goes to to see if this is truly happening. And when he gets there, he sees that the grace of God is taking place in people's lives. And he, he it says that he was glad and encouraged them to live for Jesus with all their heart. He was an encourager. He was being who he was. Verse 24 uh, Acts 11, verse 24, this is a great description of Barnabas. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Wouldn't you love that to be on your tombstone? Good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and people were impacted because of your life. My name is, my, my name is Jason. Uh, my name actually means healer. And there have been period, periods in my time uh, of my life where uh, I've prayed for physical healing for people. I've walked people through emotional or mental issues. Uh, I, I've wanted to, always wanted to see people restored. I want you to be whole. I want you to know who God is. But if I had a nickname that I would rather have than healer, it would be helper. Because more than any other thing in my life, I've always wanted to help people, especially God's people. In any way, it doesn't matter to me, not just in your Christianity, but just in life. I want to come alongside you and help you. And my question to you is, what nickname should you have for your life? If people were to rename you by the way that you live your life, what would they say about you? It's a big deal. Some of you guys are encouragers. Some of you guys are leaders. Some of you guys are intercessors. 
But have you ever thought about it? What do people think about you and what do they say about you because of your relationship with Jesus? It's important. And here's one other thing. I just put it in my notes. Sometimes the pattern of your life reveals the purpose of your life. The older you get, the more you can look back and see the pattern of your life. And that's part of your design. So sometimes that pattern actually points you to your purpose. Church, do you know who you are? Number two, successful Christians see the potential in them, in others. So if you're a teacher, a lot of times you can see the potential in somebody else who could be a teacher. If you're a business person, sometimes you see somebody who has the ability to be a successful business person. I was an athlete. I can usually tell, give me a little bit of time on any, in any kind of sport, and I can tell you whether or not they're probably going to be good in athletics. But all of us have something that we're able to recognize in somebody else. Are we paying attention, good news, to the potential in our midst? Are we actually seeing the potential in other people? So I want to give you a little context for Barnabas because he is about to encounter a man named Saul. And Saul eventually will be called Paul. And Paul will write about 13 of the New Testament books in the Bible. But Saul is not a good man, as we're going to find out. If you would put up Acts 8, 1 through 3. So Saul was one of the witnesses. So there is one of the apostles named Stephen who is stoned to death. And this is what it says about Saul. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. That's a strong word, destroy. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Go to Acts 9, 1 and 2. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. So everything that was coming out of him was a threat. And he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So Saul is a man who is with every breath, making threats. He's wanting to see followers of Jesus killed. And he's looking to drag people out of houses, these home churches, and putting them in chains. But Saul has an encounter with Jesus. It says that he's on this road. Jesus appears to him. He's blinded for three days. And Jesus said, you're going to follow me now. How many know that even the worst of the worst are changed by an encounter with Jesus? So we pick it up in Acts 9, 26 through 28. It says, when he, this is talking about Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. That makes sense, right? Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas saw something of potential in Saul. A man who knew about the church recognized the potential in Saul. And I guarantee he recognized a transformation as well. But Barnabas goes after Saul and then brings him to the apostles. And he stands with Saul. And because he stood with Saul and vouched for him, the apostles and church received him. How would you have treated or received someone like with Saul's background? Because we don't think about this stuff, really. But somebody that's just getting out of prison and shows up at our church, how would you treat them? You know, I think of Myron Pierce. He's a, a pastor in town. And very often he talks about how God set him free from prison. And now he's a pastor. And it was Ron Dolsler with the Abide Network and Bridge Church that actually gave him a shot. But what would you do? How would you treat somebody if you knew their past was pretty bad? I need to be honest uh, with you guys for a minute. If you're a Christian, you're going to be let down by other people. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be stabbed in the back. You're going to be stabbed in the front. People are going to let you down. Because they're humans. And this whole idea that there's hypocrites in the church. Yep, there's hypocrites in the church and in the bar and in the school and in other homes. It's everywhere. Okay, you're still going to be a Christian. And you're still going to engage and you're still going to give your life because that's what we do as Christians. Now, I do want to say this. If you're hurting and you have addictions or you've been abused or any of those things, don't emotionally manipulate in order to have somebody come and help you. It's actually going to push people away. Okay, we do. I I want to help as many people as we can, but it'll actually push me away if you do that, because I actually can't help you in that, with that decision-making. I know, I, I'm not going to be popular, that's okay. But I need to be honest. Because we actually want to help people regardless of their background or situation. Alright, I'll, I'll encourage myself in the Lord. <laughs> but I, I do think it's important as Christians, we have to quit creating false expectations for other people. Eventually, I'm going to let you down, and eventually, you're going to let me down. And I know that, so I'm okay with that. We're going to keep going, we're going to love one another, and we're, we're going to work it out. All right. There's always drama anytime people are involved. Holy cow. So my question to you is, who is God calling you to come alongside? Who do you see in your midst? Who do you see in our church? Who do you see at your job? Who do you see in your neighborhood? 
Who do you see that you know you could actually add value to their life? Because this is what Barnabas does. Barnabas was able to connect people to the need. So we find, again, in Acts 11, Barnabas hears about what's happening in these new believers in the church. And so he goes after Saul and goes, listen, you're the perfect person to come alongside these new believers. And it says they spent a year there teaching them. And you go, well, I'm, I'm not a Bible teacher. I don't need you to be a Bible teacher. What I need you to do is come alongside and share your life with people. If you're in business, be a Christian businessman or businesswoman. Share your life with them. If you're a teacher, be a Christian teacher. Give your life away to somebody else. We, we have to quit making this so complicated. It is simple. See need, meet need. See hurting people, meet the need. Give what you have to the people that need it. Barnabas connected Saul's skill to the need. Here's the other thing. So here's another dynamic that I see a lot of times uh, in the church. I see it everywhere, actually. Have you ever invested in somebody and then you go, "Uh uh-oh, they're getting so good they may take my job? So what is is our initial then response? Well, I'm not going to tell them everything I know. I don't want them to move past me. I don't want them to take my job. I don't want other people to be more impressed with them than they are with me. But here's the thing. If you actually will give your life away so that other people get better, there'll always be room for you. Because it's so rare. The kingdom of God is about giving. It's about bestowing. It's about investing. Number three, successful people live intentionally for them. So how do you think Barnabas would measure the success of his life? There are two people that he really impacts powerfully, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But I love this portion of scripture because now we see the humanity at play in the Bible. Acts 15, 36 through 41 says this. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. He was determined to take with him. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. So now you have contention Over John Mark. John Mark was a quitter. Barnabas Barnabas goes, I see value in his life. Saul, Saul, now Paul says, I don't want that guy with me. You got personality conflict. Anybody ever had conflict with a personality? Anybody ever just not got along with somebody? Anybody ever made decisions not rooted in prayer? Anybody ever reacted? That's why I love that this is in the Bible. 
Because remember, it said that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And now he's in conflict with the most influential leader in New Testament history. Y'all, it's going to happen. You're going to have conflict with people. It's going to happen. Paul and Barnabas didn't stop and they didn't take time to pray. It's not reflected in scripture. They didn't get a mediator. They didn't maybe, maybe they should have talked it out or thought it out or separated and came back. They just broke up. And there's no place in scripture where it says they came back together. It's possible. So Barnabas sees the potential in a killer. And he also sees the potential in a quitter. It's powerful. It's powerful. Because you have the gamut in our churches. There's possibility that somebody has killed somebody. In attendance in our church. And then you have tons of people who quit. And you have everything in between. The church needs to be filled with people like Barnabas. And see value in those who don't always hit the mark. Because even I. I don't, I don't always hit the mark. But God never quits or gives up on me. And here's the thing. As Paul eventually, later in his ministry, sees value in John Mark and says, hey, could you bring Mark because he is useful to me in ministry? That is because of the man named Barnabas. Because Barnabas stood by him, developed him so that he could be useful to the kingdom. Barnabas would work with a killer and a quitter. Two people who combined would write about 14 books in the New Testament. You talk about an understated hero. It's Barnabas. Funny thing is, Paul would eventually mentor Timothy. In the same way he was mentored by Barnabas, he would take another young pastor and we would pour his life into him. And so my question to you guys this morning is, do you see people that you know they need investment? You above, the 30 and, and above, are you actually investing your life? Are you actually investing what you have in other people? I'm desperate to see that culture here. As much as I love the fact that your butts are in our pews, yay, I need your life to be shared with other people outside of Sunday morning. Because our people need it, our culture needs it, our community outside the walls of the church. Needs it. Need people who love Jesus and love people. Have you identified them? Have, have you connected with them? Have you connected other people that you know need each other? I'll give you an interesting example. So two weeks ago, I brought out the slingshot. And I talked about how I wanted you to be about it, right? And really kind of laser in on... on Serving people or, or giving. Well, God is so cool. There was a, a man in our, our audience and he sent me an email and he said, I can't believe that happened. He said, I was meditating on the five stones in David. Because we had talked about that illustration. And he said, 
I'm a chocolatier by profession. Hello. You know, that's the Lord. And in the slingshot, I had wanted to take a piece of chocolate and shoot it at somebody, but I thought I might kill him. So I didn't do it. And he said, I couldn't believe it. You used an illustration that God was talking to me about, about my future profession. And you used chocolate. And he's like, I'd love to do this professionally. Well, how many know if he's actually going to do it professionally, he needs a business plan. He needs to be able to figure out what next steps are. He needs other chocolatiers to come alongside and go, here's all the things that you need to do. Well, how many know the church should be able to solve that? I'm tired of outsourcing to other people what we have the capability to do. But it's not just business. It's every aspect of life, marriage and friendships and and addictions. We have people that have overcome addictions that we're going to be starting groups for that. Because this is what we do. This is being a Barnabas. Successful people give their lives away. We're going to take a little bit of time in just a minute because I, I really feel like the Lord wants to minister to hearts. And I, I would love for you to sit and receive. I mean, we're so transactional in our cultures, right? We're busy, busy. I know NFL's coming on now. And college football is back and and we got to get home and feed the kids or there's stuff that has to be done. But sometimes you need to be able to take care of your heart. I want the band to be able to minister to you guys. I want the band to be able to, to minister, but I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You have value. You have things to give away. And in this moment, in this spot, at this time, I really want God to minister to your heart. The biggest frustration, this is not in my notes, the biggest frustration I have about preaching is I don't feel like messages bring a lot of change. It's life-on-life relationships that actually, it's the association we talked about, that actually help bring consistent change. We work so hard on preaching messages, but man, I would love to see a culture that worked just as hard in investing in the life of other people. Because that's where the real change, I believe, happens. So if you would stand with me. We all have the potential to be a Barnabas. And I believe we also have the responsibility to be a Barnabas to somebody else. So, Father, I pray for the men and women in this room. I pray, God, that you would bring people again across. That that you would bring people into contact that need a Barnabas that you would help us to make those divine connections. There's some people in this room, they need a Barnabas to come alongside them, regardless of age. But God, I pray that you would begin to shift our hearts and our minds to the most important things. We can spend our whole life being selfish. We can spend our whole life, God, pursuing things that don't matter. God, I pray that you would continually sanctify our hearts and our minds, God, in your truth. For those that don't know Jesus, I would love to be able to tell you about him and lead you into relationship with him. I'd love to be able to pray for you after. But God, I pray that this become a community 
that God, we pursue you with everything that we have. And we, we pour intentionally our lives into other people so we can see transformation occur. We love you and we need you and we bless you this morning in Jesus' name.